0: Welcome to the I Am In podcast, published by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion. During our spring semester, 2023, guest speakers from the Treasure Valley will be coming to the Boise Institute to speak to students live in the chapel on Wednesday nights at 6pm. If you're a young adult in the valley and you would like to be part of the audience, come and join us. Their stories of hope and testimonies of the gospel of Jesus Christ will be recorded and shared on this podcast each week. We hope you enjoy hearing their messages. We know they will be filled with the spirit. If you like what you hear, please share the link with your peers. We hope everyone will enjoy listening to all of the guest speakers during the next four months. Thanks to each of you for coming. My hope is, in fact, my little prayer, as as uh, I was being introduced, was that uh, that Heavenly Father might uh, prompt me that I might say something that might have an impact for good upon those that uh, that are here tonight. Um, I, uh, um, Sister Eric and I we actually met. Um, this is going to age us a little bit, but when young single adult wards were a were an were a pilot program in the church, uh, we met in the first one here in the Boise area, and uh, and then we're both students here, um, and this building has changed significantly since we were here, where the where the office area is now used to be the library, and uh, we spent a lot of time. Uh, Sister Eric and I spent a lot, a lot of time in the library pretending to study, and uh, so this is this is actually where we got to know each other, and and we're married nearly a year later, and so our roots run deep here. We we were um, both raised here, went to high school here. Um, I went to what was then Rick's College for a year, Um, and. and then went on a mission to England and came back and finished my schooling here and, and uh, graduated here. And, and literally, other than, other than missionary service, um, uh, we've, we've lived here ever since, raised our family here. Um, and, and so, but I'd like to just share with you tonight, um, as, we ref- as I reflect back, uh, it was it was a natural reflection for me when brother and I asked me to speak here because this is kind of where, um, as I mentioned, where we went to school and, and spent a lot of a significant amount of time here and and uh, and so I, I thought I'd reflect on some experiences that might that might have an impact for good upon you um, as, as as we look back um, and we had experiences. Uh, on our mission in New Zealand where we served um, as mission leaders there um, in a very, very different time um, to serve. Uh, we had experiences there. and We had experiences in previous callings and even professionally throughout our lives where we've learned a tremendous amount. And we don't have the time to go into all of that tonight, but what, what I would like to do is perhaps touch on Um, one experience that we've had repeatedly throughout our lives that has caused us to have a deeper understanding, something we always hoped for and something that I think we knew but didn't reflect upon but now have been hit in the head so many times with it over different experiences over the years, we have come to know. We have come to know without a shadow of a doubt um, that Heavenly Father knows you individually he knows you by name he knows of your challenges and your concerns he knows what's in your heart what you hope for what you dream for he knows of tragedy um, and and he is there um, and sometimes I don't know about you but sometimes when we have challenges um, we we have a tendency to re, to perhaps question that a little bit and say, why me, why this situation? Um, And we've had enough of those experiences with, to now reflect back upon, where we have gained a much deeper understanding that that our loving Heavenly Father and His Son and our Savior um, is there and they know us and they care. I think of a time professionally, I, I graduated from Boise State, went into the financial services industry, and immediately went to work for a company um, and I, I honestly never thought um, I would ever leave that company, never. Um, they were so good to me and, and uh, um, I, in, a, in a relatively seven, eight year period of time, I, I became the youngest manager in the entire company, this is a national firm. Um, with offices throughout New York and L.A. and and we were lucky because we got to represent this firm living right here in good old Boise, Idaho. And we just we felt so fortunate and blessed. Um, and then, it, as oftentimes as companies grow and they change and and their, the dynamics change and some of their visions change, they decided that Boise, Idaho, was um, too small of a market to focus their resources on, which to us was crazy because we were a top 10 organization within this company, but they were starting to minimize their attention and focus upon smaller geographic areas. And so um, we just thought, well, we'll just continue to do what we do here and, and, and march forward. And, and uh, the time came of which I knew it would come um, after they made this announcement and uh, they asked us to move. And uh, Sister Erickson and I, we spent a great deal amount of time on our hands and knees. And uh, the answer to us was clearly no. And so I struggled with that. I, 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 I struggled with it for a long time, a couple, literally a couple months. And, that, and, that, and honestly, young people, that shows a lack of faith on my part at that time in my life. I was 30 years old. Um, we had a, a business here and we had purchased, we would built a home and we thought we were in our forever place and uh, with our forever company. And uh, they had asked me to move, um, not even that far. They wanted me to move to Salt Lake. And I have family in Salt Lake and, and a lot of business relations down there. But, you know, the Broncos aren't in Salt Lake. Just, it was a little school called, what, Utah or something? Or, or by Who or what is that? But, um, and so we, we, uh, we thought about it. We, we went back and forth, but the answer was a clear no. And then the learning began. Um, I thought in corporate America when you turn down... A promotion like that, oftentimes that kind of dead ends you professionally. And my father, who was in a different industry but very, very successful in his own business, warned me of that. He said, "Jeff, you just need to just you just need to buckle down and go." But and I was okay with that. But the answer when we fell to our knees was no. And so I mustered up the courage, um, was prepared to find other employment um, when I told them no. And and so I got the powers to be together and and sat down with them and said, no, I I won't go. I'm sorry. They said, well, let's think on that for a day or two. And uh, and so I'm thinking, well, so they're having a conversation right now about whether or not they're gonna demote me or fire me. And, uh, and so two days go by and they call me back on the phone and they say, Jeff, this is what we'd like you to do. Instead of transferring to Salt Lake, we're going to combine Salt Lake with your Boise office. That will give you the market territory that is required by the company now in terms of population base. That will mean significantly higher income for you. And we will rent you an apartment in Salt Lake that you can spend three to four days a week down there so that you can manage. Both offices Well, I, so I made a second mistake I assumed without falling to my knees again and this was really this was really a, a compliment to me to us professionally and so I just assumed that the reason I was supposed to say no is because I wasn't supposed to move And so I said, yes, OK. And so I began. Sister Erickson was expecting our sixth daughter. And uh, I would get on an airplane on Monday morning. I'd fly back Wednesday afternoon, because I was a young men's president. I'd go to young men's, I'd get on an airplane Thursday morning, I'd fly back, and I'd come home Friday night. And I did that every other week. And And so... Two months go by, and and uh, uh, I started to realize that. Uh, and then I, after the fact, unfortunately, we fell to our knees, and the answer was still no. So sometimes we think we know, um, and and sometimes we make assumptions. Uh, for selfish reasons, for me it was ego, it was greed, it was income, and, and, and we make these decisions and fortunately for me, I was given a second chance. And so Sister Erickson, and I thought about it, we prayed about it, I knew this was the end for me professionally with this firm. Um, so I looked, found other employment, um, uh, flew back to New York and resigned. Um, from my dream job (laughs) at a pretty young age. And uh, uh, when I made the decision to do that, I was flying back there on a Thursday. But we made the decision on Sunday. We thought about it, fasted about it, prayed about it, made the final decision, made the phone call on Monday. And guess what happens? My phone rings on Tuesday and our stake president, Riley Cutler, calls Sister Erickson and I into his office. And this is his first question. He says, tell me about your professional world right now. And I started to laugh. I said, well, on Thursday, I'm going to fly to New York and resign as the manager of this office here. Um, and he didn't say, Oh gosh, I'm so sorry. He said, Good. Um, and then he extend, he says, I've had your name approved to be the next bishop of the Maple Grove Ward for six months. I've just been waiting for you to get your professional life in order. So I had now had a deeper understanding of what no meant and why. And then I knew. I knew because I was doing the Father's will. Now, that will could have just as easily been go. I'm not suggesting to anyone that you don't accept. But for us, it was no. And so it was really, really hard because I gave up a dream job and an income. Um, and, but I knew then that our Father wouldn't abandon us because we had done what we were supposed to do. So I, 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 so literally on Thursday I resigned. On Sunday I was sustained as the bishop, um, and in our business when you resign it's not a two-week notice. When you resign it's you're done yesterday, um, and so and so I knew I was done. Um, the following week I started new employment with a very very small company, probably a. Th- Uh, a fraction of the size of the national firm I worked for, the agency that I was managing was a fraction of the size of the one I left, Um, and my income dropped by three-fourths. Over the next 10 years, we had growth in that little company that I've never witnessed being matched since. And I had what Sister Erickson and I refer to as the most enjoyable 11 years of my career during that period of time. And, and young people, did we work hard? Yes, we worked really, really hard. Worked long hours, made sacrifices, um, missed some things, um, but had more success than ever before or ever since in my career. 11 years later, something very similar happened in that the, the company I worked for was a company that was actually owned by our church. They, our church does have business interests. You need to understand, you know, I'm sure everybody understands that. But they made a decision in 2009, just after the mortgage-backed security debacle where the markets just crashed around mortgage backed securities, they decided that in today's world to be successful in my business that they needed to take risk that was inappropriate for the church to take. And so once again, Sister Erickson and I were, (laughs) this was Memorial Day 2009 and we have a home in McCall and we were up there with our family And Tina and I had gotten up really, really early on Monday morning, Memorial Day, and had gone for a walk up in the mountains behind the cabin. We're on our way back. I'll never forget this. We're walking down this path. We're holding hands. And I made a comment to Sister Erickson. I said, you know, amongst all challenges, right now in our little world, with our six children and our parents, grandparents, and our nieces and nephews, and and everything just seems right in the world. Should have never said that. And so, on our way home that day, I get a call from the president and CEO of Beneficial Life, who was running this company that that provided the products for my firm, some of the products for my firm to sell. He said, "Jeff." I've already booked you a flight to come down tomorrow morning to Salt Lake at 6 a.m. We need to have a discussion. I said, great, I'll be on the flight. I hung up the phone, told Tina, I said, I think they're going to offer me the Seattle area. And so for the next several hours, Tina and I had a conversation about whether or not I should accept more territory, which meant, all the good things, but also with that more time commitment, more time away from home and everything else. And I'd kind of already been through that once. So we decided that the answer was going to be no. So I get off the airplane, they had a cab there waiting for me, or a shuttle there waiting for me. They brought me into the home office. I walk into the boardroom of this, this on the 36th floor, this overlooks the temple. It was a beautiful setting. I walk into the boardroom. And in there sat the guy, the president, CEO, the chairman of the board of the company who I knew personally from years ago in the business and the looks in their eyes told me all I needed to know, that I was about to be unemployed. Now 24 hours earlier, all was right in the world. And they explained that the church had decided that it was inappropriate to take the necessary risk to be competitive in the business today, of which I actually agreed with. And so, there we were, having to start over again. Sister Erickson and I, we fell to our knees. Over the course of the next 90 days, we were guided to start our own company, which we did. Now let me roll the clock forward another eleven years minding our own business enjoying the fruits of owning our own company and uh, one day the phone rings Um, you'll learn as you get older and remain faithful in the church that when the phone rings and the area code is it's it's 801-240 don't answer And basically, on the other end of the line, it was Elder Cook of the Quorum of the Twelve saying, "You know, what are you doing for the next three years? That's not exactly how it works. There's two interviews. One's an availability interview. But because of the blessings that we had had throughout the years of, as mentioned in our bio, we just tried to do what we were asked. We just simply, as a couple, we're going to do whatever we're asked to do. The blessings that came from that put us in a position that we were available. And a month later, we were called um, to serve as mission leaders in the New Zealand Hamilton Mission, where we spent the next three years. In between that time, there were several church callings where we began to have a deeper understanding of Heavenly Father knows us and knows who we are. When I was serving as, a, as an Area 70 um, your assignments come in May and November. And so basically, um, members of the 70, their worlds are dictated by two letters. One comes in November, and that tells them where they will be every weekend between January and June. And then one comes in May, and that tells them where they're going to be every weekend from August through the end of December. And then, of course, July, they have off. And so, and those, those letters are right on. They're, they come from the presence of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and their assignments, um, their keys are assigned for that period. It's a very, very sacred, sacred time. And they just don't err. They just don't err. Those assign, when, you, when you arrive at that assignment, you, you know why you're there. And when you leave, you know why you were there. And you're there for like, you get there on Saturday morning and you leave after state conference on Sunday afternoon. And there's no question ever as to why I was assigned to go to this place. And you're assigned to a different place every weekend. I mean, Idaho Falls, Colorado, Oregon, wherever the case may be. And so on a Thursday, I get a call saying, Brother Erickson, was, this was basically the assignment department where they, where they, they take care of all travel and everything for members of the 70 they said your assignment has been changed. You're supposed to be in Idaho Falls, your assignment has now been changed to the Twin Falls West Stake. The conference has been planned, don't worry, you just have to show up. And I'm thinking this never happens and frankly it doesn't. And so on my way Saturday morning I'm driving to Twin Falls from our home wondering What's going on? Well, we visit a family. We visit a family. Um, I'd asked the stake president to arrange to visit two families. And I said, it's really simple, president. There's 4,000 members of your stake. Get down on your hands and knees and find out who Heavenly Father wants me to visit when I come. Two families. He did just that. So we visit this family. And... uh, This family had lost a child to a jet skiing accident the summer before, 17-year-old. Student body president, great athlete, great kid. Everybody loved him. Seminary council. He was just, and, and this family, as you can imagine, was hurting deeply. And we had a discussion, and I answered some questions. And one of the questions they asked me, they said, Elder Erickson, um, we have a daughter that's coming, that's on a mission, and she's coming home. We don't know what to do when she comes home. Do we go through all this mourning again with her? She elected to stay in the mission field when her brother died. We don't know exactly what to do or how to handle this situation. And they were hurting because of this. On Friday, I mentioned I got the assignment change on Thursday, on Friday, a brother that works for me calls him on the phone and says, hey Jeff, can we go to lunch today? And I said, sure. I arrive at lunch, he's got a yellow pad. And on this yellow pad, he's written two pages of notes. He says, I just wanna share this with you. This is everything I learned when my son, Zach, died. They had a 10 year old boy that just didn't wake up one morning. His parents were at the temple. They came home from the. They came out of the temple and there's a Boise city police officer waiting for him to escort him home to let him know that their son had died. Just didn't wake up in the morning. They had a daughter on a mission. I was on the phone call when we called her to tell her what had happened. She came home. They went through this experience, and he had written two pages of notes of everything that they learned, what they would do, and what they would do different in these circumstances. And he read them to me, and I remembered them. And I was able to share them with his family. So right now you're asking yourself, so would Heavenly Father really change your assignment from Idaho Falls to Twin Falls and change the other authority's assignment to somewhere else so that you could go to Twin Falls just to have this conversation with this family? The answer is yes. That's how well he knows you. That's how much our Savior loves you. And that's how much he cares. So I'm leaving. The stake president and I are leaving. And uh, this brother says, Elder Erickson, may I ask you another question? I said, of course. He, of course, he said, where do you live? At that time, we lived in CUNA. This before our mission. I said, in CUNA, he says, do you know Brother so and so? I said, yes. He's He said, he's my brother. And I could sense that there was some hurt, and perhaps even a little bit of anxiety, maybe even a little bit of anger. And then I knew. Two weeks earlier, I had been invited to come to a student ward in Cuna, Idaho where this brother's brother was the bishop and confirm a little girl who had joined the church whose mother works for me. I walked up on the stand. Excuse me, it wasn't two two weeks earlier, it was several months earlier. I walked up, I walked in, in in the chapel, saw this bishop sitting on the stand, he was as white as a ghost. I walked up and somewhat jokingly said, Bishop, are you okay? He said, I'm so sorry, it's been a rough, rough 24 hours in my family. I said, well, that's why you have counselors, Bishop, go. Go be with them. He said, no, I need to be here for Amanda's confirmation. He said, last night my nephew was killed in a jet ski accident. I'm the only one, young people, that could tell this brother's brother why his brother didn't come to the scene. I was the only one that could say to him, "Your brother wasn't there because a little girl who had had a life of heartache had joined the church and was being confirmed, and as his as her bishop, he wanted to support her." As I shared this experience with this brother, this great burden lifted. You could visibly see this burden lift from this brother's shoulders. So again, I ask you, would a loving Heavenly Father changed my assignment? Because he knew I knew two stories that only I knew. One, the experience with the brother that worked for me and the two pages of notes the day before that he felt prompted to share with me for reasons of which he had no idea. And the other experience I'd had several months earlier with his brother on the stand in a ward. So you see, these experiences that we continue to have lead us to understand and believe and know that yes, he does know us, he loves us. And despite whatever our challenges may be, and we all have them, and if you haven't, you will. He knows, he loves, and he cares. So we're in the mission field now, and and uh, <laughs> we, I often tell this, I'm not sure it's totally appropriate, but when people ask me about our mission experience as mission comp- leaders, I always tell them, well, before COVID, I was, we were like a, we were like kids in a candy store. Life could not, we, I mean, I had worked hard in my business. We were given a three-year opportunity to go serve the Lord full-time. The, the owners of our carriers of my business, I flew back to Indianapolis basically to resign because I was going to be gone for three years. They asked me to stay, just kind of pretend I was still there. I, it, just, it, it couldn't have unfolded any better for us and we are literally, we missed our family, but we were like kids in a candy store. We were loving every minute. And then COVID hit, and our mission had just had the highest number of convert baptisms in the history of the mission. Mission was only, it was, well, it was, it was beginning its seventh year of existence. It was an amazing time. We had 190 missionaries, and these faithful young people were going crazy with the work. And the, it was just building and building and building and building. And then March of 2020 hit. The mission had like almost double the number of convert baptisms that month that they usually had. And all was right in the world. Two weeks later, we had taken 130, 100, no, no, 160 of them to the airport and they were gone. We had 39 missionaries left. So I always say that before COVID, we were like kids in a candy store and after COVID, we were just kids. And because we still love to serve and we still love that time. But like the challenges I had professionally, the experiences that were caused that we had because of COVID brought forth miracles that our missionaries witnessed that would, they would not have witnessed had that not happened. Now in the interest of time, I'm not going to share a lot of them with you, but I am, I'm going to share a couple. Um, we had a sister, her name was Sister Hayamona. She had a twin sister. When we first arrived in New Zealand, we were given an assignment to go to a state conference in Taronga, New Zealand. And I'm sitting, we were sitting on the stand. And I noticed these two girls over here, they were identical twins sitting in the stand about where you two were sitting. And they just had a demeanor about them that was just, so I nudged the stake president. I said, tell me about those two girls. He says, well, they're converts to the church. They joined the church at age 15. They're actually getting ready to put their missionary papers in. So after the after the, after the meeting, I, I rushed down there. I talked to them for a mi- few minutes. And I just, I remember telling Sister Erickson, and I just felt this connection with these two kids. Well, a month later, COVID hits. And all of our missionaries in New Zealand were now missionaries from New Zealand. Our mission grew from 39 missionaries up to 110, 120. And 90% of them were from New Zealand. Most of our missionaries were anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour from where they lived. This was our mission. They went to FSY together. They had dated. I mean, it was like our zone conferences were like FSY. And, and, and so we had to remind them that it wasn't FSY. This was a zone conference and no, you can't sit together. Um, but so one of these sisters, they both were called to Australia on their missions. But because of COVID, they couldn't leave the country. And one was reassigned to our mission. And then the time came A year later, and she was able to go, and she had a decision to make. Do I go to Australia or do I stay? Now, unlike me, she was she was a little more faithful than I was when I was her age. She wanted to stay in our mission. She'd had incredible experiences there. We were teaching her mother. We had missionaries teaching her mother. And she gets a notice, an invitation but it was her choice because the amount of time she had left to serve, whether or not to go to Australia or stay. She knew that if she stayed, she'd attend her mother's baptism. If her mom got baptized, because she knew I'd let her, because that's just how I was. But her answer was to go. So she went. In Australia, she ended up training the little sister, of a sister she had trained in our mission, she had Ammon-like experiences in Australia. And two weeks after she left, she did she did make a sacrifice because her mom was baptized by an elder that she's now dating. This stuff just you don't make this stuff up, right? This is a book, um, and. And this happened over and over again. Brothers and sisters, when we left in June, the end of June of this year, we had 95 missionaries serving in the Hamilton, New Zealand mission. We had a choice to make when COVID hit, we went from 190 to 39. We say, well, we can use this as a reason or excuse as to why we're not going to continue to do as much work. Or we could say, Extend your faith, work a little harder, and be a little more obedient. And let the Father take care of the rest. When we left to come home in June of of last year, of 2022, these 95 missionaries were doing the work statistically that the 190 were doing three years earlier. Think about that. That's half the missionaries doing the same work of what, the, of what 190 missionaries were doing, and they were working at a record-setting pace. So when we have challenges, we extend our faith, we work a little harder, and we become a little more obedient. And then we allow the Father to bless us. And we've witnessed over and over again the miracles of what happens when this occurs. Closing, I'm gonna share with you one. I'm gonna read it so I don't mess it up. If I can get it to come up, there it is. This is right before we came home. In an interview with Elder Welly, whose sister also served here, he expressed to me that he was struggling To have his own witness of the Book of Mormon, that breaks a mission president's heart. But he's not alone. There are many members of the church that that have that experience of that question. He said, this of course troubled me. I asked him if he had read the Book of Mormon. He said, President, I have read it many times. And the tears began to flow. The Spirit nudged me to have him read Moroni's promise in Moroni ten three through 5. I had never done this before. He looked at me as if I was crazy, as he had probably read this with investigators a million times. About halfway through his reading of, these, of this sacred promise, the Spirit filled the room in a manner that I have only felt but a few times in my life no doubt, from either one of us. Elder Welly became so emotional that he could not finish. I became very emotional because I recognized what had just occurred, a lifelong witness and blessing for him, but also for me as I have read those pages every night for many, many years and have had a witness of its truth, but never before in that manner. The Book of Mormon is the word of God. I know it, and now Elder Welly knows it. Another witness, brothers and sisters, of a loving Heavenly Father, answering the prayer of someone who was being a little more faithful, working a little harder, and being a little more obedient. Fear not, I know your sorrows, and I have come to deliver you. I will not leave you. My name is upon you, and my angels have charge over you. I will do wonders among you. Walk with me. Learn of me. I will give you rest. I am in your midst, you are mine. Over the last nearly 40 years, this is what Sister Erickson and I have learned together, is that he is in our midst. Of this I know, for because of the experiences I have come to know him whose church this is. In his name, even Jesus Christ, amen.